Hey, everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 93 of the John Riley Project. Today is Thursday, November 21st, 2019. We are broadcasting, as we always do, from the city in the country, Poway, California. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for watching. If you're watching on YouTube, thanks for listening. If you're on Spotify or Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on all the platforms, you know, this is a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we got a lot of things we're going to get into, you know, that really encompass those themes of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. I mean, I got so much jam-packed. I want to fit it all into this episode. I'm not sure if I will because, you know, I don't. we don't need another crazy long podcast. So I may end up splitting this one up into two. I've got a little timer here on the side. So if I get near an hour, I may cut this one off and then re-record another episode. Um, so we might have a part A and a part B to this thing. So anyways, um, yeah, there's a lot we want to get into. Um, I'm I really interested in, in some local issues here with our Poway Unified School District and some interesting people in Poway. Um, I want to talk about the Democratic debates that were last night. Um, but I really want to get into, I really, this first piece of news is... This is a crazy story, and I just felt like sharing it. And the, and the headline is that a Utah woman was charged with lewdness after being topless in her own home. And I, so this has got to be crazy. This has got to be nuts. What's going on? And so I dug into this, and I just want to share this story with you because, you know, if we're all about liberty, you know, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, this is just egregious. This is just awful. Um, on many levels, and we'll break this down. And so this is an article that was on NPR, and I'll include the link in the show notes. And apparently a Utah woman was charged with lewdness in her own home after her stepchildren walked into the room and saw her bare-chested. Um, and attorneys for the American Civil Liberties Union of Utah argued this week um, that the charge was unconstitutional. Um, and they were you know, complaining about the state law. And apparently the story is, is that her and her husband were working downstairs and they were doing some home remodeling and setting up some drywall. And there was just a lot of fibers and they were you know, in the air and they were sweating and they were taking a break. And the the guy took off his shirt and his wife, you know, she's kind of, I guess you could say a, 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 a woke feminist. She took off her shirt too and figure what the heck, you know, I mean, what's the deal? You know, why is there a difference? Um, and then somehow, I, again, I don't know how in the heck this was reported, um, how it got to the police. But the story is, is that, you know, her, her stepchildren, ages 9, 10, and 13, walked in, um, and, and, and I guess they saw her bare-chested, and that led to her being charged by, you know, the government in the state of Utah. Um, now, what's happened is that the, they've charged her with three charges of lewdness involving a child. So I guess it's one for each, for each child. Um, and it's a, it's a Class A misdemeanor. And apparently, you know, this is, again, this inequality under the law. Her, she was charged, but her husband wasn't. So it's a double standard. You know, it, we should have equality under the law, which is another concept we talk a lot about in this podcast. And here we got different rules for different people and essentially sexist rules, discriminatory rules that are different from women than they are from men. Um, 
and apparently it says the the state's lewdness statute criminalizes exposure of the female breasts below the top of the areola. I mean, this is unbelievable that they're breaking this down. I get maybe it's unbelievable that I'm breaking it down. Um, but if convicted, she faces imprisonment, fines, and the requirement to register as a sex offender for the next ten years. And she claimed. She was in the privacy of her own home. My husband was right next to me in the same exact manner that I was, and he's not being prosecuted. I mean, this is just utterly outrageous. Um, now, you know, former Poway uh, resident Connor Boyack now lives in Utah. I don't know if you ever followed some of the work he does. He has great work for his organization called Libertas Institute. And the Libertas Institute lobbies state officials in the state of Utah to really put forward more, um, you know, more freedom oriented laws. I'm hoping that Connor Boyack gets involved in this case and really stands up, you know, for the rights of this woman, you know, who, in my opinion, is just being unfairly targeted by the Utah state government. I mean, it's a woman in the privacy of her own home. Then she gets busted, but her husband doesn't. And really, you know, it's it's all a matter of, you know, liberty. You know, we talk about small government and, you know, keeping the government, you know, out of your personal life. And, and here we have the government like right there policing what we can wear or not wear and doing it in a way that's discriminatory, different rules depending on your gender. So utterly outrageous. So, I mean, what a crazy story. I mean, I just saw this this afternoon. And I figured, oh, this will be something fun to share in the podcast. So let me know your thoughts on this. If you have any interesting angles to it, um, I'd really appreciate it. Thankfully, <laughs> I haven't seen this case here in California. Let's hope it doesn't get that far. So, um Let's talk a little bit about the Democratic debates. And and that was last night. And I watched them and, and I was kind of really fired up. It was going to be a good TV night. You know, I had the um, the Democratic debates. They started at six and they went till about eight. And then the Aztec game, you know, the city championship here in San Diego, San Diego State versus the University of San Diego. That started at eight. And I watched that ball game. So I just had a full night of television. It was great. Um and by the way, the Aztecs look fantastic. I mean, they just they they scorched uh, University of San Diego. They did a great job. The Aztecs, by the way, are going to be a very special team this year. I'm, they're four and zero, off to a great start, and I'm just really loving that. But at any rate, um, I did watch the Democratic debates, and I was wondering what. And this was the fifth debate, and I was wondering what what are we going to expect and. You know, what about Joe Biden? You know, is he going to be on his game or is he going to be slow mojo? You know, and and then I was wondering, you know, what other candidates are going to step up? I figured they'd, they'd be taking shots at Mayor Pete because he's been rising in the polls. You know, last the last debate, Elizabeth Warren was rising in the polls and they came after her Would would the other candidates be coming after coming after Pete Buttigieg. And then also that the. the um, the, they they keep ratcheting up the criteria to qualify for the debates. And so there's two less candidates um, compared to the last one. Now, one of them dropped out. That was Beto O'Rourke. But the other one was Julian Castro, who I think is an eminently qualified candidate. I mean, he served on Obama's cabinet. He, um, former mayor of San Antonio, very intelligent uh, man. And, you know, he was left out because what the Democratic Party has done 
And by the way, the, the Republicans did this in 2016, where they ratchet up the qualifying criteria, you know, whether it's polling or fundraising or whatever it happens to be. And I always object to this because essentially the party is choosing the candidates before the voters have a chance to vote. Because, you know, if you don't qualify for the debates, you're essentially an irrelevant candidate. That's kind of how the system works. Um, so I wasn't sure how that was going to work. Um, and and so, you know, I'm just hanging out, wait, watching the debate. And sure enough, they all come out. And I always like paying attention to what they wear because I'm a marketing guy. I like the branding angle to this. And Tulsi Gabbard kind of has her thing going wearing all white and, and looks stunning. So she was in, in all white. Um, and then... Yeah, Elizabeth Warren, you know, she kind of has her own look, too, where she wears the black pants, the black top, and then a jacket of some solid color. And so she had that that look as well. Of course, Andrew Yang, you always count on him, the blue suit, the the blue dress shirt, no tie. Um, and so I, I, I know I, I kind of get off checking this out because I think – Consistency of messaging is really important for a political candidate, but so is the consistency of their look um, being so people can have an instant vision of what that candidate is, what they represent, what they look like. So they get a visual of that candidate. I think that's smart marketing. And I see some of these candidates pulling that off and I think doing a good job of it. And we got into the debate and, and generally speaking, they rehashed a lot of the same topics, right? You know, they they go over health care and foreign policy and they didn't do much on guns, um, but they, they talked about taxes and a lot of the same things. And were there breakthrough moments? Not really, um, but there were some interesting, there's a few nuggets I wanted to share with you. And I think, I think if you net this all the way down, my prediction, I think I've said it before on the podcast, I think... Pete Buttigieg is going to be the Democratic nominee for president um, because you know, if you look at the front runners, Joe Biden, I, I told you, he's going to be like the drummer in Spinal Tap and he's going to spontaneously combust. He's going to implode at some point here. Um, I, Elizabeth Warren is sliding in the, ra- in the ratings because I think her plan is coming under attack. And, you know, I had the whole Elizabeth Warren OMG podcast. I am not a fan of her. So she's my least favorite candidate on that stage. And then I think Bernie Sanders, I think, has a ceiling. I, I think he can only go so far. And Buttigieg has been rising in the polls. He's, you know, no longer a second tier candidate. He is up in the top tier. And I just see him as He's um, very smart. He, you know, he's a Rhodes Scholar. He, he's very authentic, in my opinion. I, I think he's, um, you know, he. I, I just very impressed with him. Um, he's thoughtful. His messaging is very different than a lot of the other candidates. Where a lot of these, some of these other candidates really hammer away at policy. Buttigieg is kind of an inspirational candidate, a lot like Obama was in 2008. His message sort of transcends, um, you know, the the nuts and bolts and the wonkiness of the policy. He offers, I think, a message that's inspirational for the future. And I think the fact that he is young, I mean, he's only in his late 30s, that I think that he's a gay man that's married. I think there's some very intangibles that are going for him that I think are compelling. And historically, the Democrats have always been attracted to that young new generation type, whether it was Kennedy 
or whether it was Clinton or Obama, um, rarely do they ever um, elect very old candidates. And so and I think that is a theme amongst the Democrats. It's for progress. They're progressives. They're for progress. So I think they're wanting to embrace a youthful, energetic candidate. I think Mayor Pete is doing a great job. And I, I always like the his line where he talks a lot about the day after Trump, you know, again, more of a uh, um, giving people hope, uh, giving people a vision of what it's going to be like when Trump is no longer president. I just think that's a good message, a good line. I think I think he's going to be the Democratic candidate. Now, granted, my predictions are worth a grain of salt. I predicted that there was no way Trump was going to be the Republican nominee. And I also predicted there was no way Trump was going to be president. And maybe you shared those same opinions in 2016. Well, I was dead wrong. I was wrong on every level about Trump. I didn't see it coming. Um, so take this prediction with a grain of salt. Now, I know there's big fans of Bernie. A lot of my buddies are Bernie fans um, and they're true believers. So I know they they think that Bernie's going to win this in the end. So I, I just fascinated. And really, the 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 first caucuses in Iowa are only like less than three months away. I think it's like two and a half months. We're going to have the first votes. And so this thing's going to really start picking up steam. And there's going to be another debate, I think, in December. So I'm curious to see how that shakes out. But there were a couple of other nuggets that I think are worth sharing. You know, I've I've talked about previously, I've talked about Mayor Pete, Andrew Yang and Tulsi Gabbard were the three candidates that I personally was interested in. Not saying I would vote for him, but they were the candidates I thought were compelling, had interesting stories. Andrew Yang, I thought, had a great performance last night. He just comes off as someone very relatable, very personable. He's funny. He's witty. Um, he's innovative and bold with a lot of his um, messages, his policy proposals. His closing statement was a home run. I mean, he, he did a great job. And you know, he gets crap you know, from a lot of Democrats because he has no previous political experience. You know, Tom Steyer you know, gets the same, um, the same criticism. But I don't know. I, Andrew Yang comes off as a guy again, represents something new, something innovative. If you know something that's progressive, you know it's for progress. It's looking into the future. Um, so I, I thought he did a great a great job. And you know the other little things he did is when um, Tom Steyer was you know explaining you know some of the things he's working on, and Steyer was getting a lot of crap from you know, the, the, the media and also from people in the audience. And Yang actually gave Steyer some credit, you know, putting, you know, Steyer is a, he's a, might be a billionaire. He's extremely wealthy. And he was criticized, you know, for being rich and trying to buy his way into the race. But Yang gave him credit and says, Hey man, this is a guy that not, doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk. He puts his money where his mouth is and actually put in huge amounts of his own personal wealth into fighting climate change. It was rare to see a candidate do that, where they would extend an olive branch and compliment another candidate without having a, a you know, a, a, a yeah, but moment and then taking a dig. Andrew Yang was just very open, personable, honest, friendly. Um, I think that works great for him. So, 
I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of of him personally. I'm not a big fan of his UBI proposal. I did a whole podcast on that. But he has other policy positions that I think are very very interesting. And so I'm curious to see how long he lasts in this process. He seems just like Buttigieg is rising, Andrew Yang is always rising, and he frequently is part of this media blackout where they'll show the polling and then Yang will mysteriously not be present in the poll, even though they're putting people up in the ratings that are below him in terms of support. Um, so he's fighting the battle on many levels. But anyways, I, I thought he had a great night. Um, Joe Biden, gee whiz. I mean, just slow witted. Um, just he, he I know he, it's amazing. Joe Biden is leading in the polls and I have yet to meet a Joe Biden supporter. I mean, do you know one who's waving the flag for Joe Biden? I mean, really, I don't know anyone that that is a big supporter of him. I wonder if he's just getting support because people don't know the other candidates yet. That's possible. But his performance on the stage, I just think he would just get torn to pieces by Trump. And I honestly worry, you know, for someone like that, he definitely has lost a step, lost an edge. Um, so every time I see him, I'm continue to be disappointed. Cory Booker had a great moment when they're talking about, um, you, you know, the the economic inequality issue and minimum wage. And he put forward an idea of, you know, we should be promoting entrepreneurism and helping people rise up out of poverty. And I thought that what a great message that is. And I know he was making that part of his mayoral um, administration when he was the mayor of Newark, New Jersey. But it was refreshing to hear that message from a Democratic candidate that's not just about redistribution and tearing down the wealthy and, and handing money to the poor doing using that kind of wealth redistribution model. But he was actually showcasing, hey, we can teach people to go into business for themselves, effectively teaching people to fish so they can eat for a lifetime, right? Um, so I thought that was a wonderful message from Booker. Uh, Bernie was interesting. Bernie looked really good. Um, he looked trim and, you know, he just had that heart attack a few months ago. He just looked healthier than I've, I'm used to seeing him. Um, and I, I thought Bernie did a great job uh, condemning our foreign policy and all the wars and the war on terror. And he's a big critic of that. And I like that part of his message. So uh, and Bernie was Bernie, you know, generally speaking, he talked about the same issues he always talked about uh, with the same energy. But he, he looked a little different. He, he I, I think he looked a lot better. So I, I was I was happy to see that for, for Bernie. Um, Tulsi Gabbard, you know, she just continues to get attacked from some of the other candidates, but also from a lot of other Democrats and, and, you know, there's the whole conspiracy theory of her as a Russian asset, and she's got this, um, you know, battle going on with Hillary Clinton. I think Tulsi Gabbard has a great, great message because what she's trying to do is to unwind this um, regime change war policy where we're sending the military to topple Iraq, to topple Afghanistan, to topple, you know, Syria or whatever country, you know, sending in these uh, you know, drone bombs into Yemen and Somalia. And and she wants to have a foreign policy that's about diplomacy and about peace. And she wants to lessen the influence of the military industrial complex 
lessen the interest of corporatism in Washington, D.C., essentially to be what I've always thought of as sort of an old school Democrat. And I like hearing that message from her, yet she is constantly condemned by a lot of the establishment Democrats and the progressive Democrats. I'm just flabbergasted by the whole thing. You know, and she was condemned for sitting down with Syrian President Assad. And I'm thinking, how can you condemn a person for reaching out and talking to people, to to pursuing diplomacy, um, for trying to build relationships, to try to resolve matters without having to go to war, without having to use the military to posture, without going into grudge mode and saying, I'm not going to talk to this person. I like when leaders are willing to reach out. And, you know, she talked about in the debate that, you know, Kennedy, you know, reached out and, and met with with um, Khrushchev and um, Reagan met with Gorbachev and FDR met with Stalin. And I think that's a good thing. It's a good thing to have diplomacy, yet she's condemned for it, which to me is remarkable. Um, Tom Steyer actually had a really good point in the in the um in the debate. And normally, you know, people kind of dismiss Steyer and he, you know, essentially is buying his way in. He's spending just a ton of his own personal money on media to raise his, himself on the ratings. But he had a really, really good point. And he talked about how can the Democrats win? And he said, we're not going to win if we try to just peel off a little bit of the Republican vote. He says, the way we're going to win is not just getting turnout of the Democrats, but actually going out and converting non-voters into voters. And I was I was pleased to see that. You know, here is a candidate that's talking about how they actually beat Trump and what that strategy should be. Um, so that was a good message. Of course, Steyer has no chance. Uh, maybe he's hoping he's going to be a cabinet person when this whole thing shakes out. I don't know. Um, but it's interesting to see him on the stage. You figure at some point we're going to – he'll probably fall off the edge of the stage because he won't have the support. I know Cory Booker is in danger. Like right now, he doesn't qualify yet for the December debate. He was actually making a plea in his closing statement you know, to get some more support so he can remain alive. But it's crazy that these candidates are being pushed to the side. The The party is winnowing the field before the voters have ever had a chance to vote. And this goes back to my old point previously, how these elections are rigged. It's all a rigged system. Um, And then there was Elizabeth Warren. And I don't want to have to rehash everything that I've talked about uh, in the old Elizabeth Warren podcast. But, you know, one one of the things that struck me is in many ways, she is adopting some of the policies or the not the policies, but the the messaging strategy of Trump, because, you know, Trump always had the boogeyman, you know, it was the Mexicans and they're rapists and criminals and and murderers. And we've got to build a wall. And I mean, just this BS line from Trump about our immigration policy, which I mean, what Trump is the whole his rhetoric on that, just terrible, just horrible. Um but he had identified a boogeyman. He had identified a foil, and he's very good at that. And then setting that him up and then trying to position him as the good guy to fight the battle against that enemy. Well, Elizabeth Warren is doing the same darn thing, but with billionaires, you know, and she keeps talking about how she wants to tear them down. And, you know, she says, you know, it's just a penny or two pennies. But she's really talking about, you know, eroding people's wealth that they have earned or, you know, throughout their lifetime. And I I just, again, I, I just, 
there's so much about Elizabeth Warren that I think is just nuts. Um, she talks about, you know, we, we got to, you know, handle these freeloading billionaires. I'm thinking freeloading billionaires. Are you crazy? And so I looked up the stats on this and the, the top 1% of taxpayers paid 26.9% of all individual income tax, which is more than seven times higher than taxpayers in the bottom 50%. So the top 1% pay like roughly one quarter of all the taxes collected. And she's saying the billionaires are freeloaders. Um, And then to go further with this, the top 1% paid a greater share of individual income taxes than the bottom 90% combined. And she calls the billionaires freeloaders. Um, and and then she and meanwhile, then she was in her pitch. She was saying that she wants to have 135 million people join Medicare for all at no cost to them. And yet she's criticizing the billionaires for being the freeloaders. Um, so, I mean, I can go on and on with her. I mean, she was saying on day one she was going to lower prescription drug prices. And I'm thinking, how in the heck are you going to do that on day one? You need Congress to pass legislation. You know, she wants to be a dictator and and by decree force companies to change their pricing um, on day one of her presidency. It just doesn't make sense. And, you know, Dave Rubin, who is a guy that I like, he, he um, hosts the Rubin Report, which is a podcast that in many ways I've modeled my podcast after, particularly when I'm interviewing guests. And he had a great line on Elizabeth Warren, and I'll repeat it here. He said, um, Warren is the perfect progressive politician. She says things that all sound good um, if you don't think about them, completely makes up numbers, doesn't account for human behavior and promises everything to everyone because why the hell not? (laughs) I thought that was a good summary of her. Um, But, you know, overall, it was like two hours on this debate, you know, and did anything change? I mean, you know, Buttigieg is looking good. Andrew Yang is is looking good. But for the most part, the election, the, the debates were the same old, same old. And then I asked myself, is anyone really inspired by these Democratic candidates? And really, overall, you know, not me. I'm not I wasn't inspired by anyone. I, I'm not going to vote for any of them. There's just no way. Um, I'm not voting for Trump either. I can't support him either. Um, but I thought. Buttigieg did a good job. Uh, if you are a Democratic voter, I think he is a good representative for the party. Um, but it was just a fascinating night. And so I finished that up and then I watched the Aztecs just take down the Toreros, the city championship. That was great. Um, but yeah, so that, that that's kind of my look at the debate. I, I, I enjoy following the debates. Um, I like the intrigue, the drama, but this is the fifth one. I, I admit I was kind of not as excited for this one like I was for the first few, but it was still good. Okay. Hey, how about a word from our sponsor, PowayStore.com. You know, it's our new sponsor, and this is a website. You can go on there, and it's just all Poway gear. You know, I live here in Poway, California, the city in the country, and PowayStore.com is a site where you can get these really cool shirts um, that have the city name Poway on it. And some are long sleeve shirts, short sleeve shirts. There's like one that says straight out of Poway, you know, like the straight out of Compton. Um, but there's some neat shirts out there. Uh, they've also got, you know, stickers for your car, magnets, you know, that are 
essentially um, celebrating Poway or celebrating the 858 um, area code. Um, Christmas ornaments, you know, my first Christmas in Poway, some neat ones there. And then drinkware, you know, so cups, mugs, glasses, all emblazoned with the city name Poway. Um, So if you want to check that out, looking for some Christmas gifts, um, some stocking stuffers, you want to knock down a few of these early, go to PowayStore.com and there you can order all your Poway gear and let's move on. All right. So um, we're rolling. I am going a little faster than I thought. So maybe I can get through all of this in an hour. That's my goal. All right. The good, the bad, and the ugly. This is always a fun segment that I have where I can kind of have some fast-acting thoughts on a few issues. In the good column, I think this is a great one. This is another Poway guy, Bob Raybert. And there was this news story on him on our local NBC affiliate, KNSD, and I have the link to it. And he, very innovative, you know, with these rains, and I was telling you earlier, my we have a leak in our roof here in the podcast studio, which is causing me some grief. Um, but at any rate, he actually has transformed his property to repurpose all the water. Now, for the most part, you know, when the rain comes, you know, our grass loves it. But that only lasts a couple of weeks and we got to turn the sprinklers back on. Um, and then you know, for the most part, everyone else just sort of lets the rain run off and it's gone. And what he did is he saw these um, posts on Pinterest and he found ways to repurpose his water. And so he um, got rid of all of his grass and he put in, you know, the the rock garden with the uh, um, with the succulents. But it was really neat. One of the things that he did is he had he built a dry creek bed with rocks and it was a natural place for the water to flow. And then there the water could settle in and kind of build the water table near his home. And he said that would provide enough water for his plants to last him until May. And he also, you know, channeled the gutter water and put some of it into his pool and, um, and into his backyard lawn. And I just thought it was fantastic. He also took advantage of some of the rebates that are available from the county of San Diego. Uh, from their water authority, and he's cut his water bill in half. And I, I, I thought that was, was really interesting because right now the city of Poway is changing their water bill rates and their sewer rates. And there's a group of activists here in Poway, you know, led by Chris Cruz and her her group, South and North Poway Votes. She um, is really fighting against the system and opposing some of the new ways that they're changing the water rates because, you know, there's fixed costs and variable costs. And for low water users, their bottom line bill is going to go up. And I understand that fight and fighting City Hall is a tough fight. And I tip my hat to her because she does a good job. But a lot of times she doesn't get the results she wanted. But this guy, Bob Raybert in Poway, he took matters into his own hands. And I, I love this because you know, I, I talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the life part of it means that you own your life. You should live your life, take control of your life, take ownership of your life. And, you know, I now granted, I enjoy talking about politics because I think it's interesting and, and, and culture, I think it's interesting. And, you know, we've talked about how culture is upstream from politics. And if you can affect culture, then you have an opportunity to affect politics. But what's upstream from culture is your own individual life and the things that you do to make your life better. 
And that's what Bob Raybert from Poway has done, is he's not worried about the city council changing the water rates. Instead, what he's saying is, I'm going to repurpose water. I'm going to cut the amount of water that I take in. I'm going to take advantage of other situations. And so rather than worrying that his bill is going to go up because they upped the price, instead, he cut his consumption dramatically and now is paying half of what he paid previously on his water bill. So tip of the hat to Bob Raybert from Poway. He's in the good column. A couple more things in the good column Um, Big news coming out, uh, General Motors and Tesla both announcing they're going to come out with electric vehicle trucks. And I think this is great. Um, There's a number of people I've talked to about electric vehicles. You know, I'm a big fan. You know, we have a Chevy Bolt and a Hyundai Kona, um, both long distance, long range EVs, and we just love the cars. But there are people out there that love to take shots at EV owners and in some of my previous podcasts, I've talked about my EV and I drove it to Albuquerque and um, we power them with solar, by the way. And we, I just love the technology. But there's still some people that love taking shots at the EV drivers and say, ah, you know, the technology isn't very good or ah, you don't have good range or, you know, ah, you can't tow anything. And you're thinking, well, really, how many people need to tow something heavy? And then other people are saying, I need a truck for work. And like, okay, I get that. Well, now they're finally coming out with trucks. And this is great because the technology is going to keep improving. And these naysayers that are thumbing their nose at EVs, give them a little few more years. The battery technology is going to get better. You're going to see this in trucks, uh, more common. Um, It's not just going to be in sedans. I think this is great news. Now, I don't know when these are going to actually be available to the public, probably not for another year or two, but progress, innovation, love seeing that. So tip of the hat, GM and Tesla coming out with EV trucks. And then I just got to give another shout out. I, I talked about Connor Boyack earlier. Connor Boyack, interesting guy. You know, he, he was raised here in Poway. His mother, Marilee, actually served on the Poway City Council. Um, Connor has moved to Utah. He started Libertas Institute, which is a think tank, a, a lobbying organization that works on various issues to try to you know, get the state of Utah and local municipalities to change their laws and regulations to have more individual freedom. He's fought hard for the legalization of medical marijuana in Utah, and he's had some success and some setbacks. But the other thing that I think I want to I want to give a big shout out to Connor. He has this book series called The Tuttle Twins, and it's an awesome book series. It's made for young children. I'm guessing between the ages of maybe seven and 10, approximately. Uh, Don't quote me on that. Um, But it teaches them a lot of principles of free market economics and liberty and just some things that normally they're not taught in school. And entrepreneurism is a big part of some of the things he talks about because he has a whole book about, you know, building a lemonade stand and a story about a child that goes into business themselves selling lemonade in their in their neighborhood. Just a wonderful series of books. So if you're looking for another gift to give people this holiday season, check out the Tuttle Twins, T-U-T-T-L-E, the Tuttle Twins. Uh, Great series by Connor Boyack. He's the author of that. So big shout out to him. Okay, now the bad column. This is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And and the bad column is we're back to the Poway Unified School District has now 
approved putting a $448 million bond measure that's going to appear on the March 3rd primary ballot. And it was unanimously approved by the school board. And now, granted, this has to come to voters for a vote. It's got to be approved 55%. Now, you know, by the way, it used to be a two-thirds um, requirement. And the, you know, the people that wanted to keep passing school bonds continue to fail to get to two-thirds. And then it finally, the voters voted to change the rule, and now it only requires a 55% approval. So now a lot more of these bonds are getting passed, you know, creating more and more and more debt for taxpayers to pay off. So this is going to go to vote in, in March, and I'm fascinating, fascinated to see what happens here because the people in Poway are still pissed about the billion-dollar bond that was approved or actually was implemented around 2010, you know, payments on those aren't going to start until I think around 2033. So we're all, we already got the money. We've already spent the money and the principal and interest is compounding as we speak without any payments. It's like those, um, you know, no interest, no principal loans from the 2000s. You know, this kind of loan is now illegal, these capital appreciation bonds. Well, now they've created a different kind of bond, a more traditional bond. And they say the payback is not going to be any more than two to one. In fact, might only be one and a half to one. So if this is a $448 million bond, Okay, just round the numbers up to make the math easy, a $500 million bond. I think they're saying that the payback might be $750 million to pay back a $500 million bond. Could be maybe two to one, which would be another billion dollar bond if that were the case. Um, so not as egregious, as awful as the capital appreciation bonds, which is good news. But we we still, you know, the billion dollar bond, that money was spent for school upgrades less than 10 years ago. And now suddenly they need way more money for these, for to upgrade schools. I mean, heck, a lot of the schools that were built on the Western side of the 15 freeway that are in Rancho Penasquitos and in 4S and in Del Sur, a lot, some of those schools are brand new or relatively new. Um, you think about Del Norte High School, Westview High School, those schools aren't that old. And we had a bond measure that you know upgraded many of the schools in the district, you know, the the, the area that wasn't covered by Melarus. Those we you know, we spent, my goodness, it might have been $130 million of principal that was applied, um, but still not enough. And now they got to keep going back to the well. Plus, there's other bonds that have been passed previously that are continuously refinanced. So this, the bottom line is, is that the school board is coming to the voters to ask to borrow another layer of debt on top of the billion-dollar bond layer of debt on top of previous bond layers of debt. So debt upon debt upon debt, and now they need more. And I I just hope the voters say no to this BS. I mean, this just keeps going on and on and on. And, and it's they can't manage their financial you know picture. I did a whole podcast about ways that the school district can save money in their operating budget to free up more cash that they could use for ongoing maintenance uh, rather than having to come to voters for more borrowing. Uh, but they just won't manage their they won't keep their house in order and they keep coming back for more. So 
This bond measure um, on the March ballot also includes several provisions on how the bond funds can be spent. Funds cannot be spent on administrator or teacher salaries or school operating expenses, including raises or pensions. Funds can only be used on schools and projects as listed in the ballot's full text. So basically they're saying this is going to be going for infrastructure, for buildings, for maintenance, repairs, maybe for some equipment, you know, maybe computers. I don't know. But they say it's not going to go to salaries. But this is all a shell game. It's money is fungible. And what I mean by that is, is that they they keep spending more and more and more on teacher salaries, on administrator salaries, on benefits, on pensions that are unaffordable. And what they do is they push the extra expenses into other buckets. In this particular case, they're pushing these extra expenses for the bond to I mean, the extra expenses for you know, facility maintenance, et cetera, into this bond. But they play this game a lot with school supplies. Like how often you go into an open house and the teacher is talking about her classroom or his classroom. And then you hear the, the, the pitch that, oh, I've got to pay for school supplies out of my own pocket. And could you please help? And, you know, good parents will step up and pay for money to cover some basic school supplies. But the fact that the school district doesn't fund the school supplies is part of the strategy because they spend the money instead on compensation for the employees because they know that the parents will kick in and spend money on the school supplies. And they do this with with um, fundraisers for all these other things because the money is fungible and the money, you know, You can categorize it for A, B, or C, and it can be moved around. So even though this bond money is not going to go to the pensions and to the salaries, effectively, it's all in one giant pot. They have it in separate buckets, but they, they, they maximize the spending in the salary bucket to the point that they can't afford any maintenance, and then they create these new buckets when they could be paying for the maintenance out of their main budget, um, a great deal of it, uh, without having to come back to taxpayers over and over again. So it's just nuts. And here, I, I saw this, this was a graphic that I saw on Facebook, and it kind of captured my feeling on a lot of this. And I'm going to read part of it to you because I thought it was good. And it said, enough is enough. First, we're told that we should approve the lottery because that money would help fix our public education system and the roads. Then we were told we should raise the sales tax because we needed that money for the education and for fixing the roads. And then we were told we had to approve casino gambling because that money would be, you guessed it, to go to education and fixing our roads. And then we were told we had to increase income taxes because we needed that money to help with education and fixing our roads. And we had to increase the gas tax to fix our roads. And it's just, it's the same thing, the same pitch over and over again. And you're thinking, well, where in the hell does the money go? And obviously it's going into the pockets of government employees. That's where it goes. And you, we can say that teachers need more money and teachers certainly have the sympathy of the public, but there's way, way, way too many non-teachers that work in these school districts. And they've created these fiefdoms of administration 
that a lot of those portions of um, the school system of the school district need to be completely um, reformed. We need to look at this through a new lens. A lot of those jobs need to either be flat out eliminated or outsourced to other companies to free up cash so you can, A, pay teachers more, and B, have cash that you can maintain the facilities and equipment that you already have. I mean, the city of Poway already does this. The city of Poway sets aside money and saves money to replace um, equipment, you know, vehicles, facilities that need to be replaced. They save money. In special fund, you know that they're in a, in a special reserve fund that they can use to build a new building without having to borrow it. And the city of Poway has a budget that's about twenty five percent, roughly speaking, twenty five percent of the Poway Unified's budget. They can do it, but Poway Unified can't because they can't manage their 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 finances properly. And now they're coming back to to voters to ask for more. So I'm hoping that the voters finally say no to this. And so I have that in the bag column. And there was, there was one other um, component to this, and, and it was in the story in pomeradonews.com, which you know is the company that has the Poway Chieftain and the Rancho Bernardo News Journal, and I'll include a link to this, but this was hilarious. And board member T.J. Zane. Okay, now T.J. Zane is one of the five elected school board members the former executive chairman of the San Diego County Republican Party. Um, And he said, while he is a fiscal conservative um, and not always a fan of bonds, there are some things you just have to pay for and facilities are one of them. Okay. Yes, there are things you have to pay for and facilities are one of them. You're right on that point, TJ. But to call this guy a fiscal conservative is laughable. This is a guy that has consistently voted to approve giant budget deficits. This is a guy that has consistently approved massive increases in spending. This is a guy that has consistently approved raises for union members. And he claims to be a fiscal conservative. And now he's asking to go to voters for this huge um, loan of nearly a half a, um, a half a billion dollars that's going to be paid back with three quarters to a full billion dollars. That's the payback on this loan. That's going to be a tax increase for people in the Poway Unified School District. And he calls himself a fiscal conservative. Really? TJ Zane? No way. Um, This is just a disgrace to even refer to himself as that. What he is, is a big government, big spending, big debt Republican like so many others, and we can name one of them in, in Washington, D.C. for sure, President Donald Trump. Um, so Republicans like T.J. Zane will say one thing, but do something completely different. He says he's a fiscal conservative, but he spends like a drunken sailor. That ain't fiscal conservative, T.J. So I saw that and I go, that's just insane. So um, that's in. I have it in the bad column. I should have put it in the ugly column. That's how I feel about that one. Um, what else? In the bad column, I was reading the San Diego Union-Tribune. Nick Canepa, you know, he, he heard the news that Jeff Bezos, you know, the, the billionaire that owns Amazon, was considering buying an NFL team. And immediately, Nick Canepa, who still can't get over the fact that the San Diego Chargers moved out of San Diego, he f- still feels like the jaded 
ex-boyfriend whose girlfriend broke up with him still can't get over the fact that we don't have football in San Diego. And now once Jeff Bezos says he might buy an NFL team, Nick Canepa has a column just essentially dreaming that, oh, he'll buy the Chargers and they'll move to San Diego and Bezos will build us a stadium. And it's like, come on, Nick. Um, that ship has sailed. The Chargers ain't coming back to San Diego. No way, no how. Um, so it's just crazy. So Nick Canepa needs to get over himself. All right. And now in the ugly column, and I had two guys to talk about in the ugly column. The first one is President Trump. And, oh, what did I just do here? Just hit a button on my tablet. And, yeah, so here we go. It's down here. And this was a tweet that he sent out. I mean, I could could do a podcast a day picking apart President Trump's tweets, which are often outrageous, nonsense, crazy. But he made one comment that I thought was incredible. And and I've talked about this. This goes to his trade war with China, which is the most idiotic policy. Um, it's, it's a complete lack of understanding of economics. Um, it's nuts. And so Trump put out this tweet and he says, our great farmers will receive another major round of cash compliments of the China tariffs. Prior to Thanksgiving, the smaller farms and farmers will be big beneficiaries. In the meantime, as you may have noticed, China is starting to buy big again. Japan deal done. Enjoy. And I saw that. I was like, you got to be kidding me. He's like trying to prop up the fact that these farmers are getting all this corporate welfare as a great thing. And he's pretending that China is paying for it. But China's not paying for it. American taxpayers are paying for it. American taxpayers are who pay the tariffs. And I, I got to give credit here to um, Justin Amash. He was the, you know, the independent congressman from Michigan, big supporter of his. And he quit the, the Republicans you know, earlier this year. And he was saying the cash is compliments of American taxpayers. It's called a bailout. President Trump raises consumer prices with tariffs, taxes on Americans, hurts farmers, and then takes the money from these um, from the American consumers and gives it to the farmers. And then he takes credit for it. Um, so it's just nuts. Uh, so the, the whole policy, his trade war is just the biggest piece of nonsense because he – he sees trade as win lose, you know, because he says, "Well, one China companies in China are buying more from, uh, um, actually, buying less from America than American companies are buying from Chinese companies." And he sees a trade deficit. And he says the trade deficit means we're losing, we're losing hundreds of billions of dollars. Well, that's crazy. I mean, I have a trade deficit with my grocery store. I spend money with them. And I get less money back from them. Does that mean I'm losing? No. Every transaction is trade. You, you give cash, you get goods in return. Every transaction is balanced. To see trade as a win-lose game is just economic foolishness. Um, and then on top of it, he penalizes Americans for this by increasing taxes on goods that are purchased in America. America first or America last. And then... To make it all the more nuts is that, you know, it's um, it, it harms American businesses. These farmers were damaged because not only did the farm equipment cost more, you know, equipment that he was they were buying that was imported from Asia. 
It was it cost more because of the tariffs. And then on top of it, China retaliated in the trade war and stopped buying soybeans and other kinds of farming products, which is why a lot of these farmers are having such amazing, incredible financial difficulty, in many cases going bankrupt. So the whole policy is nuts. And then what Trump does is he pats himself on the back like he's the hero that's helping these farmers when, in fact, he's just stealing it from other Americans. So just nuts. And so that's just another in the ugly column. And the final one in the ugly column is Colin Kaepernick. And I'm disappointed that I have to put him in the ugly column because I have been generally supportive of Colin Kaepernick. You know, he's the former quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, led him to a Super Bowl that they lost to the Baltimore Ravens. That's the one where the the lights went out, the power outage in New Orleans in the Superdome. But um, he ended up, you know, getting into this huge media uproar for taking a, a knee uh, during the national anthem. And, and that has caused, I mean, we, we all know the story, right? So the deal is, is that when he was taking a knee during the national anthem, I was generally supportive of that. I thought, you know, this nation is about freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of expression. And that's what he was doing. And I know some people didn't like it. But he wasn't disrespecting America. He wasn't disrespecting the troops. He was making a political statement um, about, you know, police violence and racial issues. And I thought, you know, he's expressing himself. Good for him. And it's not like he was doing it in a disrespectful manner. He wasn't turning his back. Um, He wasn't refusing to participate. He was taking a knee, which is generally considered to be a respectful thing. Um, yet he has been raked over the coals. And since then, he has greatly embraced this whole movement. And, you know, he's now become an icon in many ways as, um, um, I mean, again, I don't need to repeat the whole story, but I've generally been supportive of him and his kneeling. Um, and the fact that Trump upsets Trump and, and, and the Trump supporters is another part of the craziness. Um, you would think that an American president would be supportive of someone freely expressing their views and doing it in a civil and respectful way. But Trump condemned him and wanted him fired and and called him all kinds of slurs. And it's just nuts. So he did this tryout. You know, he finally got the opportunity to do a workout in front of NFL um, scouts, talent evaluators, because he's been out of the league for three years. And there's been a lot of questions whether he really had the skills because Right around the time that he left the league, he was no longer a starter. His performance had greatly declined. Um, and so, you know, this was a few years after the, the year he led the team to the Super Bowl. So people had questioned whether or not he really had the skills to get back into the league. Now, you'd think that if he really wanted to get back into the good graces of the league and get signed by one of the 32 NFL teams – that he would have done this tryout in a respectful way. But instead, what he did is the tryout was supposed to be held at the Atlanta Falcons training facility. And at the last minute, like an hour or so before um, the event was to take place, and you know, granted, you have NFL scouts and people showing up for this you know, private workout. He suddenly says, I'm not showing up there. I'm doing it at a high school 60 miles away because that way I can have my own film crew and I want to have a transparent process. 
Well, I understand wanting to have a transparent process and the age of social media and live streaming and everything else. I understand why you might want to film this and, and use it for your own promotion. I get that. I don't have a problem with that. But changing the venue like an hour or two before is totally disrespectful. You're making all these people change their plans. And, and I know that they had a great contingent of talent evaluators and scouts from the NFL teams that were planning to be there. But then when he moved it, I think only about seven or eight of them actually made the trip 60 miles away at the last minute to go see him. And then when he's out there on the field, you think he'd have, you know, some kind of a athletic wear, you know, just because he wants to showcase his talent. But he's wearing a shirt that says Kunta Quinte. And I'm thinking, really, do you do you need to poke the bear here? Now, you know, Kunta Quinte was the the star, the the slave from the TV series, the TV miniseries Roots, which is fabulous. Um, you know, just a, just a tremendous miniseries on the history of slavery in America. And um, I, I, after seeing him with the Kunta Quinte shirt, I've been thinking I should go back and try to find Roots on Amazon Prime or on Netflix and watch it again. Because I remember watching it a little bit when I was young. It came out in the 70s. I think it was only about 12 13 years old, but I remember watching it again in the eighties and really, really appreciating it. But, you know, when he's saying he's wearing a shirt saying Kunta Quinte, he's basically saying that he's a slave. And I'm thinking, come on. All right. You know, Kunta Quinte was physically abused, lost limbs. Colin Kaepernick is a millionaire. He's trying to get a job in the NFL. Why would you wear a shirt like that that is only going to provoke, that is only going to alienate? And, you know, granted, you're expressing yourself, which I support that. But if you really want to get a job, then that's not the right way to go about it. It's like showing up for a job interview wearing, you know, a, you know, a Trump shirt or or a or, or wearing I mean, any kind of a politically charged shirt. That's not something you do when you go to a job interview. Um, so, but he did that. And I think what it's telling me is, is that he really doesn't want to play in the NFL. And some people think it because he doesn't have the skills to play in the NFL any longer. And I know that's sad because when he entered the scene, he was electric. He has a cannon of an arm. He's fast. He was, you know, on a, as a runner, as a passer, he was tremendous. Um, that was the year that um, Jim Harbaugh was the head coach of the 49ers. And I think Alex Smith, who was a starter, and and Harbaugh made the bold move to bench Alex Smith, you know, a number one overall draft pick who had been pretty steady as a quarterback, not spectacular, but not terrible. And he put in this young gun, Kaepernick, and the 49ers just blew up. They did great. They went to the Super Bowl. Um, but I don't think Kaepernick... I think he lost his juice. He lost his mojo. And now suddenly, you know, here he is changing the location, poking the bear with his shirt. And I'm thinking what he's really trying to do is make a spectacle of this, which keeps his um, brand in the news and keeps him, you know, kind of in the zeitgeist. But at the same time, will guarantee that he won't get a job in the NFL. And maybe that he doesn't want that because he knows he's probably no longer good enough. So I just was so troubled by it because, like I said, I, I had been a supporter of what he had been doing for a long time, but I think he went too far on this one. So I have him in my ugly column. Okay. So, um, wow, so many things we've covered here. We've, we've talked about the, um, 
the Democratic debate, and we've talked about you know water in the city of Poway. We talked about the Poway Unified School Bond. Um, we've talked about fiscal conservative, haha. T.J. Zane talked about Trump and trade. We talked about Kaepernick. We talked about a woman topless in the state of Utah coming under criminal charges for being topless in her own home. My God, um, that's a violation of liberty and the pursuit of happiness, um, a violation of equality under the law, um, of sexism in, in our government policies. That's just a terrible story. But if you want to share your thoughts on any of this, I invite you to join me on social media. Come to my page, John Riley Project. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, on Twitter. I'm usually pretty active on Twitter. I live tweeted the debate last night. If you want to see some of my comments there, I repeated a few of them in this podcast. Um, and hey, if you if you want to help out, you know, share this episode with some friends. Let people know about the John Riley Project. If you're watching on YouTube, click on the subscribe button. Click on the thumbs up button. That'd be really helpful. If you're um, listening on iTunes, you know, Apple Podcasts. If you're listening on Stitcher, please subscribe. Uh, leave a comment. Um, if we think we deserve it, leave a five star rating. That'd be really helpful. Um, and I, I have my closing quote, and I think this is a good one. And this one, it's not really connected with. Actually, it's a little bit connected with um, our water conservationist, um, Bob uh, Raybert from Poway. It's related to what he's doing. And I I just thought this was a great quote. And I'm not even sure who – well, I don't know who posted this originally. But you ever watch the TV show Ridiculousness, which I love. It's one of my guilty pleasures, watching Rob Dyrdek and and, uh, Stilo Brim and Chanel West Coast and all the goofy videos that they do. It takes me back to my high school BMX days watching that. I love that show. But anyways, they have – I follow them on, on Facebook and they made this Facebook post and I don't – they re, they re, not retweeted. They shared it. I don't know who the original person was, but he wrote that Michael Myers taught me a valuable life lesson. I don't know if he's – is he talking about Mike Myers, the guy from Wayne's World um, and from Austin Powers? I'm not sure. But he says, Michael Myers taught me a valuable life lesson. Don't worry about how fast everyone around you is moving. If you're determined, just move at your own pace and you'll kill shit every time. I, just, I love that. And what that means, it's, it's kind of like what, what Bob Rabert did. He didn't worry about the world around him. He didn't worry about the water rates. He, you know, granted, the water rates, we can debate it. In some cases, you might think it's unjust. Um, but he didn't f- try to fight that battle, a battle he knows he can't win. Instead, he took action. He went at his own pace. He focused on what he could do in his personal life. And he made changes to the way his home captured and repurposed water. And he, instead of dealing with a bill, excuse me, a water bill that went up, he actually cut his water bill by half. He cut it by 50%. So this is, if you're determined, just move at your own pace and you'll kill shit every time. And I love that quote. You know, it's a lot of what this podcast's about. We talk about how, you know, we talk about political issues, but really I'm talking a lot about cultural issues. Uh, politics is how it manifests itself into law. And we see some of the debates in, the, in, in social media and, and even the presidential debates. But really, trying to change law as an individual person is nearly impossible. Um, 
the politicians have the power and we can try to influence the politicians and lobby the politicians. We can vote, but our influence is very, very minimal. We have far greater power to influence culture. And then if we influence culture enough, then the laws change. And that's you saw that with gay marriage as it became more and more acceptable culturally. Then eventually the laws changed uh, to give equal rights to gays, which is great. But even affecting culture is difficult. But the one thing we can do is we can directly affect our own lives, improve our own lives, and try to make our life the best it can possibly be. And if we do that in a good way by having a positive impact around the world around us, then we're going to have not only a positive impact on our lives, but on the, on the lives of other people, which will affect culture, which will eventually affect politics. So I think it's beautiful. I think it's a great quote. So I think we pulled this off. I think this is about an hour, roughly an hour. I can't believe we packed it all in. Thanks for joining me on this episode number 93. We're on the home stretch for 100. So hope you're here for us when we get to 100. We'll have a big celebration. I don't know, maybe have an adult beverage and we'll celebrate together. I'm not sure what we're going to do. Maybe we can have some guests over, but we'll have some fun on the 100th episode. That's coming up soon. until until then i sign off thank you very much for, for thank you very much for watching thank you very much for listening this is the john riley project this is episode 93 and we'll see you later bye friends